0: Welcome to Fans of the Forge. We are here with Dave Parthmore. You may know him as the Forge and Fire Invitational Champion. To my left we have, as you always see, Miss Teresa. And To my right we have... You have Sean. Sean. And we were lucky enough to hear from Dave through Facebook, and uh, he offered to do an interview with us, and we were like already looking to have an interview with him from when we watched the invitational tournament so it just made sense for us to get this together and because he's local to us here in Connecticut we're like we could come to your shop because it's always much more fun to shoot in a shop like this than it is with us in our green screen background basement right we're live on scene yeah, this is a live live shoot. So, Dave, thanks again for letting us come over and uh sitting down with us to go through
1: your episode. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for coming over. It's terrific to meet you guys.
0: And same same with you. Yeah, it has been a blast so far. Yeah. So far first thing, you guys want a beer? And we're like, of course. <laughs> yeah. So that was fun. And uh so let's get right into this. Okay. You you're going on Fortune Fire you find out you're in the Invitational Tournament and you are going to be on the Modern Metalworkers episode. So, now having talked to you for a little while, I know a little bit more information, but the question I had here was, what set you aside from, say, competing on the Blacksmith episode versus being on the Modern Metalworkers?
1: I, I don't know what the producers were thinking, but just common sense says, in a bracket, you need four groups. So, they needed people for a fourth group. So, they, they came up with the modern metal workers, which is actually, it's kind of smart. Um, Grizz, Roger Labash, he has a, an ironworks company. So, he does a lot of uh, modern metal working, gates, fences, beautiful, beautiful stuff. Roger is a terrific, talented smith. You get out to Phoenix, drop in and see him. Uh, Rick... Another very talented Smith does all kinds of stuff. And Henry, I, I don't know that much about. I know he does a lot of industrial things. Okay. Um, but after the show, I really kind of lost contact with Henry. Um, and I make horse bits and spurs for a living. <laughs> Been doing that for over, well, I guess, the past 25 years or so. Before wow. that, steam fitting. Uh, I, do, I would do large uh, pieces of structural Work also. I pretty much have done a, a large variety of, of uh, steel work and iron work.
2: Okay, cool. Did you know any of the other Smiths on the episode with you prior to the episode? For example, Rick, who's nearby in Bethel?
1: <laughs> no, no, I didn't know anybody. really didn't know anybody at all. Um, I had no idea that it was going to be a, an all Connecticut final. No, no idea at all. Yeah.
3: So uh, on your episode, you guys had a gay. Um, Damascus canisters out in order to make a a Damascus piece Um, have you ever made a a style of Damascus using a canoe before
1: I had never done a canister before at all but um, I've been forge welding for many 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 years and it's, it's like pasta it's a different shape but the same principles apply
0: right yeah that makes sense yeah that's a good analogy for it I like that
1: you know it's, it's, that's basically it. A lot of people, they become flustered and they forget their fundamentals. What fundamentals do you need to make this happen? And you execute them. I think, I think to go on a show, uh, that's what got me through. Mm-hmm. I relied on my fundamentals. Because you only have three hours. You're under a lot of pressure. You're not going to be doing anything fancy. You've got to keep it simple hardcore basics and you've got to execute those fundamentals as if you invented them and if you can do that you got a shot at moving on so heat pressure well first of all you have to have clean material okay then you have to have a good fit up in a canister that means no air pockets everything's got to be tight all right got your good fit up okay then you have to have the proper heat that means it's got to soak really, really good in that forge.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, um, a good indicator in a gas forge is if you don't, if you pick up your your canister and you don't see a shadow, that means there's no longer a heat sink. Right. That means the temperature is equalized in the billet and in the forge. So now, once you get to that point, you let it soak for some more, and you watch it get up to that brilliance that almost yellow brilliance as hot as you can get it without burning it obviously right. and once you get it to that point you take it out you start applying the proper amount of pressure you don't wail on it like a wild man like you see in the movies it's gentle and controlled you do a little bit just to pack it like it's like making a snowball you don't smash it all away oh yeah you kind of you know Compress it little by little by little. Throw it back in the forge. Get it hot again. Do the same thing. Keep packing it in, packing it in. The more compact it gets, the harder it gets. Then you can start being more aggressive with the compressions and the pressure. Gotcha. Cool. So
0: so that's like the difference from going on, say, the, the regular press that they have, then moving on to, say, Big Blue with the hammer.
1: Well, you could do... The same thing with Big Blue, you just have to be gentle with it. You have to feather, you feather that pedal, and you can just make it kiss it really, really light. Oh, okay. Okay, but that comes with experience with the equipment. Right. You know, someone going on there for the first time, not running uh, the power hammer, it could be any power hammer. You know, you you get a feel for your own equipment. You know how to feather it. You know how to really make it speak and sing. Um, Of course, after a couple hours working Big Blue, everybody was could feather it with no problem and uh, and then the other thing that is needed is an oxygen-free environment. Flux creates a coating that keeps oxygen out. The canister keeps oxygen out. You look at the ancient Japanese uh, smithing process when they make blades, they stack up all their wafers, they wrap it in rice paper then they dip it in clay slurry. The rice paper acts as a, uh, a, consume it consumes whatever oxygen is inside that clay slurry. Basically, they have a canister made of clay.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, wow.
1: Okay. It's all just fundamental common sense. And if you watch these guys, when they first start the weld, it's very gentle taps. They're just kind of pushing it into shape. And then as it consolidates you know packing that snowball you can get more aggressive with it
0: wow that's very interesting now I have to remember we're doing an interview because it's like I could sit here and listen (laughs) to this stuff all day because I'm I'm learning so much but we're going to move right back here so there was so even though you had a minor warp in your blade in that first episode the judges didn't really have anything negative to say about it Um, and you moved on to round two. And from there, you knew there was a warp in it, but based on the amount of material you had left, you kind of said you you didn't think there was enough
1: there to grind out the the warp. No, there wasn't wasn't at all. The warp was so minute. Actually, the judges didn't even mention it. Right. That's how minute it was, but I saw it. Mm -hmm. And you've got to be careful in a three-hour competition. You can't let the perfectionist in you take over. (laughs) Because it'll it'll be like an anchor, it'll just drag you right down. Right. So you you have to get to a point where you just say, all right, yes, this is good enough. I need to go on to the next step.
2: Right.
1: And uh, that's where I got. I got to good enough, kind of move on. And so
0: from there, you know, again, you moved on and you etched it, and you used that etch to determine that you had high carbon steel on the outside.
1: Right. Correct. Right.
0: And so. So if you had seen any mild steel during that etch test, would that have affected your ability to remove the bend or caused you to change your approach to fixing the bend?
1: It would have caused me to change my approach, probably. Um, Knowing that that mild steel, all of it, was in the center of that billet, um, allowed me the freedom to flex that blade. Now, when a Master Smith goes for his, his rating, you take a blade that bent at 90 degrees.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, the blade's got to bend. I made a good blade, a good weld. It was a good heat treat. There's no reason why that blade should not bend without failure. If it does, that's on me. <laughs> that means I didn't do a good weld. So I knew it was a good weld. knew it was solid. So I was, there's no there's no fear in that blade bending at all. The fact that I, I had that almost... Uh, uh almost a San Mai kind of construction where you had that mild steel core. Yeah. You know, like in like in samurai swords. A mild steel spine wrapped in that hard that hard outer casing. You know? That gave you the flexibility and the toughness all in one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I had I had no issues about it. Obviously I was not go crazy with it and try and make it. I just, I got it to the point to where I knew the point was in line with the body of the blade. You know? Yeah. That's, that was my main concern. I wanted everything to be mechanically lined up. So when he came down with that hammer, it was going to be a positive, a positive shot from, from butt to point. There'd be no, no airspace here. It'd right. be a straight line. That was my concern. Okay.
2: Did you have any concern about incorporating a guard in addition to fixing the warp and sharpening the blade and adding a handle?
1: Actually, no. No, the guard was. Uh, that was something I was going to do anyway. Um, it. It just. What it does. It helps to seat the handle. Um, you create shoulders on the blade, mm-hmm. up on up, at the butt end of the ricasso. The guard goes up, butts up against that. You set your handle up, because I I went with a through-tank construction. It's all very mechanically in line. It's a positive, uh, very positive uh, fixture. The handle slides on, pommel slides on, you lock it all into place. It's just solid.
3: Was your shim method for attaching the handle instead of using epoxy done for any specific reason? Yeah, I didn't want to mess with epoxy.
1: It, 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 was, it was that simple. You know, I've, I've made axes, tomahawks, hammers. What do they, what do they put them together with? Wedges. Right.
0: Yep.
1: You take trees down. What's holding that head on? A wedge. You put the wedge in properly, and you put that pommel on. That pommel draws up against that. It increases the pressure in there, and it locks everything in. So it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah.
3: Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, works for me. Yeah, (laughs) they made a mention of it. Oh, I don't know.
1: That's that's the way I put the handle on my on my rapier. Right. I didn't use epoxy. I made wedges. I put them in there. I screwed that that pommel on, and it just sucked right up in, solid.
0: Awesome. So your dagger took some minor damage in the oil stab test, but passed the leather apron stab with no issues, and you moved on to round three to make your Flambears Rapier, I think I said that right. Close enough. <laughs> so, had you ever heard of the, the Flambear's Rapier before the show?
1: Actually, yes, I have. Okay. The first time I saw the Elizabethan Rapier episode, I, I knew that's, that's in someone's pocket. They're gonna pull that out at some point. I had no idea they were gonna do it on the episode I was on, and I thought, wow, that's cool, oh crap. Now I got to build it.
2: <laughs>
1: so, it's like a kind of a, a dual thing going on there.
2: Mm-hmm. So that kind of leads to my question: of after hearing all of those requirements, were you concerned at all? Or? The very concern.
1: Yeah, the uh, the blade wasn't my concern. My concern was the guard, the basket help. Right. Um, it's technical. Uh, there were things that had to be in it. And if you're missing something, that's it. Adios. So, uh, yeah, the basket, um, the balance, there's a a lot going on back there. And balance is key. So, yeah, it was was a lot of feel, weigh, check it, make an adjustment. So it was a lot of that going on.
3: Uh, so moving on to the actual build days, day one, day show sure using your fly press. Uh, we need to note that it was painful to watch as it seems like it would take forever. Uh, what's the benefit of using that type of press?
1: It's easier than using my arm. <laughs> that's, that's the benefit basically. Um, it's, it's leverage. You have a, you have a, a, a screw there and you can you can hear it on the camera when this comes down. Okay, I'm just going to release it. Gravity's taking this. That's a 100-pound flywheel up there.
0: You feel the floor shaking? Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay, so it generates a lot of power. I don't think I could have made the blades without it. It's, it's true, uh, a forge press or a power hammer would have been much more advantageous but that's what I have.
3: Yeah, right, it's work. not a hydraulic press, but it's yeah. still getting the job done.
1: Yeah, yeah, a, a lot slower, but like I said, there's an accuracy involved, and you can actually feel the work through the tool. You can feel the resistance of it. Oh, right. right. You know, because your hand is on the machine, and you can feel it. Yeah. So.
0: Well, it makes sense, That's it's cool. So we made a note that you made an awesome jig to put the waves in the blade. And I mean, I remember watching that at the time and just, and they, I think they sped up the footage of you doing it, but it was just amazing to watch how you, you welded all the different spots down in, in place and then you just back and forth, back and forth and getting that thing bent in, into the proper shape. And it was really, really amazing. It was really cool to see.
1: and Thank so. You. Thank you. Um, I knew exactly what I was going to do the second I saw the blade. Um, reason and that's one of the reasons why I have my fire pot incorporated with my workbench, and my everything's right here. Mm-hmm. I go straight from here to whatever jigs I have. So you can see the grind marks from right. where it once was. So uh, yeah, so you don't have to walk across the shop and lose heat along the way right you're going from here to there yeah
0: so on the last day um, you were flame blowing the basket and then you broke off the tap in the pommel and uh, you ended up cutting off a chunk of mild steel bar which would be easier to work with but was also larger and might add some extra weight so was breaking the first pommel a blessing in disguise or were you worried that there would be too much counterbalance with the larger pommel
1: Actually, it, it saved me a lot of time. Okay. Um, the, the original pommel was way too small. Gotcha. So it turned out to be a good thing.
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh, yeah, so I just ran with it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Then you go in for testing and you win. <laughs> <laughs> so with the first part of the tournament, um, was there any kind of money involved with that? Or is no. this just the spot in the final?
1: No, it's, it's an all or nothing deal. Gotcha. Okay, you, you've now earned the right to start over. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, to answer a question of yours, yes. why did I put the whiteout in there if I was going to just wash everything off with the torch? Okay, this is when you were critiquing yeah. the first episode. Mm-hmm. The reason is, if it was welded solid, you couldn't see the separation between the mild steel and the uh, the ten ninety five okay you know you could guesstimate how thick the outer skin would be and just carve, right. but because there is a carbon barrier there, that skin is free floating there, so you could just you wash, and then all of a sudden there 's this space you 're not cutting into the base metal
0: right oh, okay, I see. okay,
1: so I can just wash, 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 wash wash and it all came off very, very quick.
3: <laughs> never seen anyone else do that, and it was pretty I, effective. For
1: the life of me, I can't figure out why no one else has done it. It's... I, I guess a lot of guys don't use torches enough. Um, I use a torch every day.
3: Worked for you. Perfect. <laughs> it worked out.
1: <laughs> um, it'd be very cool to see other Smiths start using that technique. Yeah. Yeah. It would save them a lot of time. A lot of frustration, a lot of heartache, yeah, <laughs> a lot of busted knuckles. <laughs> yes,
3: what did they show um, the, like the, the chisel just flying out all over? The place. You know, it's guys just have a wedge and they hit it, and sure? it she shoots wide.
1: Fly. <laughs> blades breaking, the frustration mm-hmm. you know? yep. just goes away. <laughs>
2: So, Rick had given us a statement about this, um, but did you see any of the fan backlash against Rick after the episode where they were claiming he didn't forge in the final build? I did, and
1: realistically, these blades were made both ways in history. They were made stock removal, and they were made by forging. Um, I heard you read out Rick's answer, and he was spot on with what... Uh, with what he said, yeah. he did forge that. He he did. He straightened it out. He needed to do a little shaping on it. And it was up to him whether he would grind it in, torch cut them in, right? Press them in, bend them in like I did, forge them in on something. Oh yeah. You know there are many 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 options that that you could do. Mm-hmm.
0: And then when it comes down to it, the way that he did it was not like it was against the rules. It was you're allowed whatever options you have in your shop to be
3: able to. it was to, just how the edit was right. done, too. Well, they didn't show him actually hammering that steel. It was just like, okay, I'm going to cut these grooves in.
1: Well, uh, yeah, of, of all the footage, I'm sure the editors wanted to make, make a more uh, exciting story. Sure. You know, and there's only so much time to fit everything in. Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, they're taking 40 hours of footage and putting it into a 20-minute segment of the show. Exactly.
1: So, Rick did exactly what he should have done. Yep. And he did a good job, too.
0: Well, yeah, you both definitely had some awesome weapons when it came to those tests. But in the end, again, you won, and you moved on to the Invitational Tournament finale against the other winners from the different episodes. You had Kirk... Who was the farrier winner? Nicholas, who was the armorer winner, uh, Derek, who was the blacksmith winner, and you came in and your first round was making a wakizashi samurai small sword. What were you thinking when you saw that that you had to make a wakizashi?
1: Well, I figured it's been one of two things. It's either going to be an Easter egg hunt to try and find the steel you need to get it done. Are they gonna throw a bunch of little things at us that we have to assemble? Mm -hmm. No, this was a straight up forging contest. They gave us beautiful material. Everything was laid out in front of us. If you made a mistake, it was on you. So, you got to see skilled craftsmen at their best in that competition. You can't point and say, oh, well, he got a crappy piece of rusty steel he had to wrestle with to try and make it work. No, we've got beautiful steel of uh, 1095 and 15N20. So it was just a matter of how each smith decided to go about putting it together.
0: During the judging for round one, there was a comment that yours was a little too curved. They were looking for it to be a little less curved as part for the uh, wakizashi. What do you have to say about it?
1: Historically, it was not out of the realm. You look at Wakasashi's in in the books, and there are many there that have curved exactly like mine. What happened was, I went up, and I had everything set in. Now, this is what happens in a three-hour competition. Sometimes you lose little bits and pieces of what you should remember. As I forged in the blade on my my blade, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm now changing the... uh, the structure, the geometry, from a rectangle to a wedge. So now you had more mass on one side than you had on the other. And what happens is when you heat that up and you throw it in the quench, all that mass, when that contracts, it's going to want to pull. Oh, okay. So that's what happened. It pulled in the quench. Gotcha. I actually took that lesson with me in the (laughs) Nadachi. Because there were very tight parameters in the bow that had to be there. Right. Yeah.
0: So in round two, you had to include a handle that had a habaki, a suba, uh, and a suka wrapped handle. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I remember taking the notes on that one. Because, what did they just?
0: <laughs> we say? had to put the closed captioning on so we could spell it all out properly. And so, um, had you ever made anything like this that has? No. Okay.
1: I would never made a Japanese weapon like that ever. Ever. I've never made a handle construction like that. Um, I studied them in, you know, books, videos, and such. So I was familiar with the construction, but actually doing one? No, I never did one. And they also kind of threw a curve at you. You don't usually make the habaki until the end. You make the habaki fit the blade. Oh. You don't make the blade fit the habaki. That was the little twist they gave us. Oh, okay. Okay.
0: And so... There was a little cons. you had a little bit of concern about the handle at the time but we had to note the blade was awesome and uh during the strength test the the bamboo didn't phase it at all um you had a big handle but otherwise it cut very well for the for the dummy smash the bamboo dummy smash and then the pork loin shop um the only comments were that the knots in the handle material gave you a little a few hot spots when it was being gripped on, but otherwise it will cut and you moved on to round three, the Nadachi. So let's see here. I mean the parameters on this thing are incredible. It's a five it can be as long as a five foot blade, but you had to have your blade length between forty-one and forty-three inches. Which how tall are you?
2: About that <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
0: It's getting close to Teresa height at yeah. that point. <laughs> But I gotta
1: take measure here somewhere. <laughs> yeah, okay. As a matter of fact.
0: Oh, look at that. That was it. Oh, very cool.
1: Okay, so the blade is what, 43? Yeah. Okay, so we got 43 right here. Then we got a 20 to 22 inch handle, right? So that takes us up to, say, 63. Okay. You're officially taller so, than me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Risa Santa. Yeah, we're about <laughs> an inch and a half taller
2: than
1: you. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was challenging, it was a lot of fun. Once I, uh, I got my education from making the handle in the forge, Uh, I did a little research, YouTube, wonderful resource. Mm. And uh, I was able to get it together. Not a problem at all. Once I got the whole wrapping thing down, it would just boom, boom, boom. I just, uh, you just got to run. I I was halfway out the driveway with the cord (laughs) getting all laid out. (laughs) Mm.
0: So, I mean...
3: I don't think you had any major issues that they just showed that during that you the You had world. a crack during day one during a forging.
1: Oh right. Yeah, yeah. The, the steel I got, um, unfortunately, I, I I ordered steel to fit the parameters of a general size blade. I ordered steel, you know, quarter inch by two inches wide. I figured, wow, that's going to put me in a ballpark for a lot of blades, you know. So I took a gamble and I just and I bought some. Uh, it turns out there were some flaws in, in the steel. Not all the way through, but it just so happened, the pieces I got, there were some flaws in them. So uh, I had to switch gears. I had to go with the heavier, the heavier uh, boat anchor.
2: <laughs>
1: <coughs> the same one Nick had that he used.
3: For testing, you guys did a pig cut. Um, your blade is not being as sharp, but the weight is a little forward heavy. Um, it will kill. But I do want to say, when you worked on your handle, you did your wrap so it wouldn't hurt the judge's dainty hands. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's not leave that out. Um, then there was a strength test. There was a pull and pot smash and chop.
1: Um, there was no major damage, and the handle felt good. I got to tell you something. Those pots, they're not teacups. <laughs> yeah. No, they're not teacups at all. I, I've seen that before on the show, and I'm thinking, ah, oh. <laughs> what's that yeah you know we've even said that we're like what are
2: you punching <laughs> for
1: <laughs> those pots are thick and it like the it, it, like the steel buckler right it, it looked like yeah i heard you say he was going oh he's just going ding 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 no he wasn't going ding ding, ding. <laughs>
2: yeah. he
1: was slamming that thing he was he was cutting mm-hmm. the blades were cutting into that steel so it wasn't ding 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 it, it looked like that on tv yeah
3: because you hear it just go ding it, but it's bending,
1: so it, there's force
3: behind it, but, you know. Yeah, yes, yeah, it,
1: what you saw on, the, on television wasn't, it didn't translate. The intensity right. of the test didn't translate. So, yeah, I, I get
3: totally where you're coming from. Right, it's different than seeing Doug slash into a pig and almost cut it in half. Yeah, that's very <laughs> dramatic. <laughs> yes. Right. Um. And then for sharpness, there's a large water bottle chop. And you're cut through all three easily. Again, noted you had a super comfortable handle. And you won. You pull off the
0: the major win. (laughs) The grand champion. How about that? So the the question that we always ask with the winners is, what were your plans for the the money that you won? Bear traps? money.
1: (laughs) 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 I put the money so far out of my head. Um, I actually, I, I didn't really think about it until like a day or two later. It's it's just when I'm competing, regardless of what I'm doing, I focus on what's right in front of me. I can't think about what's down the road because if I don't take care of what's right in front of me, it's not going to matter. And I was so entrenched in that. It wasn't until a day or two later. I thought, Oh my God. I just won $50,000. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it hit me on the show. But then uh, I, get, I, get, I get very focused, and it's hard to break out of it. You know, it's like, oh, wow, I won. And I was like, <laughs> and I'm back. But it, it took a couple of days, you know. Come back, go to work. Okay, I'm back at work, and I'm not on the show anymore, but I'm still amped up. and So it, it took a couple of days to normalize, you know to come back
2: around. Um, so we have some general questions. Sure. What is your favorite steel to use? My favorite one, Steel.
1: Favorite steel? Yeah. <sighs> 5160 and uh, 1084 for my carbon steels. And uh, 15 n 20 is, is really nice. Um, there are they're good steels for what I work with. Um, I don't have a lot of high-end heat treating stuff, everything is done old school. I watch colors. Um, the temper for the blades, I didn't have an oven. I did all the tempering with a torch. What I did was I looked on a chart. I saw the Rockwell hardness I wanted to achieve. And what I did was I took the color up to that temperature to achieve that Rockwell. And I did it in tiny sections so I can control it. Now, I got the idea from watching a, uh, a samurai sword maker and what he did was he put the whole blade back in the fire after the initial quench and it was an intuitive exercise that he'd been doing for decades. He knew exactly how long to leave it in. He was reading the temperature of the fire, reading this, reading that. You can tell a lot of, a lot of information he was processing. And when you felt it was time, back in the water. Damn, that's a good idea. So I did the same thing. I got my hose. I brought up the color. Hit it with the hose. I stopped it, I stopped the, uh, the heat process right then and there. So I had tempered the blade exactly to where I wanted it. And I did that all the way up the blade. On both blades. And I got exactly the temper I wanted. On both of them. It was... They were both tough enough to where they really didn't get that much damage at all. Right. Okay, the, the rapier, nothing. Yeah, I cut steel with that, and it flexed. The same steel, I did a slightly harder temper. I figured a big blade, they're going to be bashing into something really hard. And sure enough, yeah, clay pots don't cut. They, <laughs> you know, either the blade gives or the pot gives. And uh, just a slight dulling. Nice. Do you have a preference for handle material? I like natural handle material. Um, I really haven't worked with synthetic. I I think it's it's just, you know, wood, bone. I I just enjoy that, the the organic aspect of it. Yeah.
3: It feels good, like an antler
0: or something like that. Yeah. It's kind of neat. (laughs) So... Again, you're a blacksmith by trade and you you mentioned before that you didn't necessarily consider yourself a knife maker prior to going on the show. And, um, one of our, one of our standard questions is what is the favorite style of knife or blade for you to make? So even, even though maybe you didn't necessarily consider yourself a knife maker, you're more of just a blacksmith beforehand, or, um, what would you say is your favorite style of blade to make?
1: Uh. As far as the handle construction, I like through tank construction. Um, it's one of the oldest and it's tried and true, battle tested, survival tested. Um, you don't have to worry about scales cracking, breaking off. right um, there's a little more labor involved because you have to, you have to hollow out a channel for the handle, but I think that's well worth it um, in the end, you're going to have a real comfortable ergonomic handle. And uh, I, just, I, I just prefer the look, the process. It, it speaks to me. So, that's what I like. As far as blade construction, um, whatever the job entails. You know, if you're going to make a, a bushcraft, you're to, I would like something like a kind of a, a Bowie Kukri recurve mm-hmm. kind of a, a tool. So you have options as far as clearing brush, cutting cordage, skinning, chopping, you know. Um, If you're into tactical, uh, something more straight, like a a K-bar or a needlepoint dagger. Um, So it it all depends what what the job calls for, you know. You you make the tool for the job.
2: Sure. Okay. What is your favorite non-blade item to make?
1: Axes. Or (laughs) a blade.
2: <laughs> you had that one ready, though. <laughs> um,
1: non-blade. Hm. Well, I like organic uh, artwork. Uh, bunches of grapes with, uh, with the tendrils and the leaves and uh, roses, and uh, they're a lot of fun. Yeah.
0: I know when we were inside before um, you were telling us that you had made a lot of the stuff like the metal anything metal really in your living room for the most part you had made and then you had some cool um, like candle stands right on your table there those those looked really neat I thought those were really cool and uh, just looking around I mean you could see some cool stuff I see like a little twist little thing hanging over there that's like a twist
1: almost like what is that like a cable or my first uh, basket that basket, I made, yeah, and it's, it's all a skewed and odd shape because I didn't do it properly. And I leave it up there just to remind me of that. But what you need to do uh, is you take, you take your six pieces, or however many pieces here, and what you need to do is have a, a piece in the center that they stack around. Okay. And what that does, that keeps things uniform and symmetrical. Oh, okay. This way, when you twist it and then you back it up to open it up, you have all these little pieces you had cut and laid in there, they fall out. Oh, I see. So you have like a mandrel. Yep. That that wraps around. And when you open it back up, all those little pieces fall out. And you have a nice, centered, balanced basket. Hmm. So I keep it up there just to remind me. <laughs> and, oh, here's a blade. A zombie apocalypse bottle opener oyster shucker. Oh, there
0: you go. A little bit of everything right there. Oh, oh, nice.
1: <laughs> Open your beer and kill zombies. Actually, I gotta shape that. That's just that's just a roughed, roughed out blade. That's got kind of a good feel. I like it. Yeah, it's a wearable spike.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Just fun stuff to do.
2: I it's a little <laughs> off balance for me, but
0: that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Neat.
2: I counted that as one of the blades in my interview. I'm <laughs> no, <why> not? <laughs>
1: actually i 've been making blade shapes all my life, just not a lot of knives oh, yeah. so um, wasn't it wasn 't a foreign thing for me to go on the show and make a knife right. not at all. It was very comfortable.
2: Do
3: you have any uh, good beginner 's advice, say for someone like Chris or myself here
1: Oh absolutely yeah yeah there um, Get yourself a good uh, textbook. Uh, one I suggest is Edge of the Anvil. Okay? Okay. Okay, I've, I've got it in the house. I'll show it to you. All right. It's done. <laughs> sure. um, it's a great resource book. It shows you foundational basics that are needed. And the other thing is um, your scrap pile. Your scrap uh, Farrier told me years ago your scrap pile is your greatest teacher. So you work it, you realize how you messed up. Just like the basket. basket. (laughs) (laughs) And it sticks with you because you put five hours into something and then you screw it up. (laughs) You're not going to forget it.
0: Yeah, Yeah, Sean Sean and I took uh, a beginner's blacksmithing course Mm -hmm. at the uh, shop in Mystic. Terrific. And um, we made hooks. Yep. And I messed up my hook. The first one, we did two of them, and I messed my first one up. And I have that one downstairs with all... All of our equipment just sitting on the table there, and every time I'm down there, I see that thing, and I'm like, I know I can do better than that. <laughs> so it's it was in the fire a little too long.
3: I burned you know, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I burned
1: That's it. Your best teachers, I tell you. Yep. And don't be ashamed of your stuff that you messed up, you burnt up. You know, you hang it up on your hall of shame, your your wall of shame there. But it's <laughs> it's important.
2: Preference: coal versus propane forage. Hmm.
1: (laughs) I worked with coal for a long, long time. I built a propane forge years ago, decades ago, but it wasn't good enough to get up to welding temperature. And I didn't have the money to buy one. And uh, it was just, so you know, why am I beating my head against the wall? I know coal will get me up to forge welding temperature. So I went to coal, I went old school. And I never went to propane again until recently, with my winnings, I bought one of the forges they have down in the studio. I really enjoyed using it, and I love the simplicity of it. So uh, I'll be using propane here for with that in in concert with the coal. So I've got the best of both worlds.
3: Nice. What tool do you use most often?
1: Tape measure. Yeah, that's a good one.
0: That's a good one. It's a new one. The tape
1: measure. Without that, you're just, you know, just swinging in the breeze. Yeah, yeah. You need a direction. A tape measure gives you direction. Stainless or no stainless? Depends. Um, I work with stainless every day as a bit and spur maker. Okay. Um, So it has its applications. Right. And uh, if you're gonna work with stainless, you need the tools to work with it because it's tough stuff. It's not easy to work with.
2: Favorite Damascus pattern?
1: You know, uh, they're all awesome. They really are. I, I, I have one speak to me and then I do another one that speaks to me I read an article a few years ago by this master smith and he was going on about how he did all these amazing patterns over the years and he's come full circle back to a simple random pattern. He found such an elegance and a beauty in the natural creation of it under the hammer wherever it went. And uh, so he came full circle after decades of making this and that to a random pattern, to, to the beauty of that. So, I don't know. Um, you know, you can really control and manipulate stuff and make amazing things. Yeah, I mean, you see it out there. These, so many Smiths are just, my, my God, they're just, they're just off the charts mm-hmm. as far as their, their talent and skills and what they can create in their minds. And then you see something that's just so simple, you know, just like maybe hamon. There's such an elegance to it. So I guess you know it varies. It depends. Mm-hmm. I guess I love it all. I can I, I I I can see I can see the beauty in all of it. Cool. Do you,
3: or do you want to take part in blade sports at all? Patty doesn't want
1: me to. because I can get very, very competitive. But, um, I don't know. Maybe.
0: (laughs) Well. That's all we got for questions. That's everything. Wow. Yeah, so uh, let's see here. Thank you again for having us at your at your home really appreciate it and um it's been awesome if people want to follow your work is there some place online that you you post anything or
1: Uh, yeah i uh dave parthmore bladesmith artist blacksmith on facebook um it's has been kind of quiet like i said i'm waiting for equipment to come in (laughs) yeah um i just got my llc awesome so uh that's a good thing to have yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm serious about doing this. Um, I'm going to retire in about four years, and uh, bladesmithing will be much more of my everyday. So, right now, it's um, kind of a part time thing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's where yeah. I'm at right now.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, make sure you, you follow him, find him on Facebook. Um, and again, check out his episodes if you haven't watched them already, and just watch how much of a badass he is in the shop to to, to take two 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 forging fires he won to win fifty thousand dollars. So, thanks everybody for watching. We appreciate you. Remember to like, subscribe, and all that good stuff. And we will catch you in the next interview.